Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 76 movies, one cage. This is episode 70, The Croods from 2013. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today, we have a special guest, Brian Petronchak. Hello, Brian. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Now, this is a movie that I'd never seen before, and we sort of, you kind of jumped on the Cage Club ship a little bit late, and we were trying to figure out a movie that you might want to see. Of the movies that were available that we've seen since you signed up for this, this is probably one of the better ones. I mean, this is definitely one of the higher production value ones, I think. For sure, and I one of the I took notes. I feel I felt so weird like taking notes watching the <laughs> crudes. But the first note I wrote was DreamWorks doesn't really make bad movies for the most part. You know, it's a DreamWorks animation and they don't really make that like it's always gonna be mediocre at best, you know, at worst. <laughs> so what's kinda interesting is that the crudes from what I read sort of saved DreamWorks. That that movie, Rise of the Guardians, from 2012, lost so much money for the company that if this movie had bombed as well, there was a chance that this could the company could have gone under. Oh, wow. But instead, this one, this movie turned a profit in the U.S. and became like a, a massive global wide hit. I mean, it had a budget of 135 million wow. and made almost 600 million worldwide. So I mean, like it's like a huge, yeah. big deal. And with the toys and all that stuff too. And, there's, and we, uh, know that Mike, we know that Mike bought a toy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's some pretty heavy marketing for this. I remember when it hit the scene and they were pushing it pretty hard. And when it comes to DreamWorks, I always put them pretty much second after Pixar. You know, when it yeah, comes right. to quality. And uh, ever since you know Mouse Hunt, way back in the day written no less by friend of Kate, not a friend of ours written no <laughs> written no less by adam rifkin you know a cage yeah. action there so he's part yeah. of the early dreamworks family and stuff yeah i was pleasantly surprised by this film as well i, I feel like it's one of the cage club underdogs in a way like no one was really expecting anything from it and it turned out to be better than the past few films we watched actually and this is a movie with a sequel coming out exactly two years to the day from when we're recording this that we're recording this December 22nd. Oh. The sequel is coming out in two years. And there's also a Netflix series. It's affiliated, but it's not the same voices, right? It's not the same actors? No, yeah, it's like a cartoon series, and I doubt they could pay enough to have yeah, I, Emma Stone and even even Emma Stone alone, like let alone all the rest of the famous people that were doing it are probably worth more than the cartoon could afford to pay for. Because yeah, there's not even a very large cast to this, but... Joey, like you mentioned last night, uh, everyone's pretty much a name here. Yeah. So, yeah, I couldn't imagine them affording the, the voice <laughs> actors to all come back. I'm sure they get some good impressions going on and stuff. But, yeah, it's, it's always hard to get them to come back. Apparently, it looks like it's maybe a prequel. That looks like it's the same characters from the, from the animation that I'm looking at right now on Netflix. It looks like it's the same people. It looks like Eep is there. It looks like everybody's there. I don't recognize any of the names except for Lorraine Newman. I don't know. I, I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen any of these episodes. Maybe I should have watched some. I don't know. See, it's not a Cage property. Yeah, just sort of affiliated with yeah. a Cage property. <laughs> he's not in it, so <laughs> you guys are off the hook on that one. <laughs> so now, Brian, one thing that's kind of interesting to point out about this movie is that we this is maybe the fourth or fifth animated cage movie we've done and we sort of ranged back and forth between just doing his voice and then doing crazy cartoonish voices and so here it's kind of normal cage voice just him talking normally but he like goes a little bit crazy and over the top with like all his caveman sound effects oh my god and it's 
I would it's been, kind of amazing. It would have been amazing to see him doing all the <laughs> sound effects, like just to watch him recording this. Uh, all the grunts and <laughs> wild noises he was doing. I was kind of upset that there were no behind-the-scenes footage. In the past couple of movies, they do, like, sort of inside the booth, behind-the-scenes, showing people, like, do the voices, like you said. And stuff. But, yeah, it would have been great to see Cage in the booth. I would have loved it, because oh, although he does sound like Nick Cage, he over-exaggerates and stretches certain words, and he does all those things he's sort of known for as overacting, and he gets to apply it here to a cartoon where it should be applied, and it, and it fits just perfectly. <laughs> and you know, you know he'd be as just as serious about like <laughs> his overacting with like the grunts and wild noises as he is like with anything else he does. Yeah, and I also feel like the people who made this DreamWorks like they treat this like it's any other film. You know, I don't really, mm-hmm. I don't really get the sense that they're cashing in on anything. You don't get a lot of that parody of other movies it's called The Crudes but this film isn't very crude you know there's not any of that you know gross humor going on here and stuff so there's a a lot of good stuff going on it's pretty intelligent film that's what I liked about it, that it seemed it seemed kind of like a movie that I'd seen before, but also in a new setting like it almost felt like a Pixar movie like if these, instead of cavemen were something else, the story is a movie that you could see like in a Pixar movie apparently at one point in the script it was originally kind of a buddy comedy between Grug, who's Nick Cage's character, and Guy, who's Ryan Reynolds' yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. And instead, it transformed to this family movie where it's this outsider kind of gets brought into this family and sort of falls in love with the daughter, and it's just fear of kids growing up and all this different stuff. And I feel like, like I really did enjoy this movie, but I feel like this it makes the same point over and over again. It's like. You know, kids are going to grow up, and dad's not going to be okay with it. But eventually, dad's going to have to learn how to deal with it. So, like, every scene that they do sort of drives that point home. And so it felt a little repetitive, but, like, it's so pretty to look at, and it's so well made, that I almost didn't mind the repetition. Yeah, and and even in a rougher sense, it was like they were just hammering home, we are afraid of things, and being afraid keeps you safe, but you shouldn't be afraid because you don't experience anything. And it started from, like, ten minutes into the movie and continued all the way (laughs) to the end when he's (laughs) chucking his family into oblivion, you know? (laughs) Throwing his family into God knows where. Yeah, I feel like part of the strength is sort of the simplicity of its message, but you're right. I mean, they do reinforce it a lot. I think that's because of the demographic they're after. They're just trying to make sure they get it clearly across by the end, but there's some really great themes going on. You know, I love the family dynamic. Everyone is pretty distinct. I I like the idea of the modern man coming into their life and, you know, showing them all the new ways and evolving as a species and their whole take on fear. And there's a great line towards the end where he's like something to the effect of we weren't living you were just keeping us from dying right like so there's just some very interesting stuff going on here and it's great that stuff for kids to be exposed to you have to stop worrying for all of us it's my job to worry it's my job to follow the rules the rules don't work out here they kept us alive that wasn't living that was just not dying there's a difference Arga, everyone you have to listen to me we were 
would be dead if we listened to you. It's great stuff for kids to be exposed to, but what I also like about this movie, what I appreciate, is there's also stuff for parents to enjoy. And I feel like there's not, I mean, I didn't pick up on too many sort of like adult themes, like adult jokes. Like, I don't know, this might be a spoiler for The Good Dinosaur, but at one point in The Good Dinosaur, they take acid or LSD <laughs> and they sort of, like, trip out. Yeah, it's like, and something hallucinogenic, something yeah, like that. Really? It is the craziest thing I've ever seen in a Pixar movie. And just the dinosaur, the little cave boy, just, like, trip for, like, a, just, it's maybe 10 or 15 seconds. I'm but sure for kids, it's all it's like very this, whimsical and bright. Yeah. And just a way for the show-off animation. Right. But for uh, for adults, it's like, oh, like, they're just, like, <laughs> tripping their balls off right now. There's nothing like that in this movie, but there are things that I can see, like, a dad sort of getting a chuckle. Even, even though they go a little bit too overboard, a dad getting a chuckle that Cage wants to kill his mother-in-law oh, so yes, bad. Yes, the yeah. Beachman jokes are hilarious. And she's, <laughs> and she's great, too. She's really funny in her reverse antagonistic role for him. And Cloris Leachman's, like, just amazing in everything she does, and she's hilarious in this. I feel like they got like a good sort of Flintstones vibe too with this, and and that was created as a parody of the Honeymooners. So you know, it's yeah. almost based off of that type of humor, and mm-hmm. I think it was integrated into this very well. But what I really liked about this was the Emma Stone character. You yeah. know, like she is a really strong woman character, right? But she has her flaws and stuff like that, right? She's been very sheltered, so she isn't very wise as to, you know, the new ways or doing things efficiently, let's say, or something, or just thinking forward thinking and stuff, but she's very physically strong and she's brave and she's willing to try and all this stuff, so there's a complexity there that that works really well. She has flaws, but they're not her fault. It's the world or her familial restrictions being put on her, so it's not like she's this, like, I don't know, like, she's she's an admirable female character, and one that we really haven't had too many of at all in Cage Club. Has that been a theme throughout the other oh my, Cage Clubs? Oh my there, god. There are not many strong <laughs> women characters? It's been real bad. Yeah. We finally had one, uh, oh, in Drive Angry, the Amber Heard character is finally strong, mm-hmm. but it's amazing how terribly women are written pretty much from the beginning of his career up until now. Yeah, uh, one of the only saving graces might have been, like, adaptation or something like that. She's portrayed as, like, a con- complete and total nut job in it, but she, at least she's, like, a strong character, you know? We only kind of started keeping track from National Treasure, really, I think, and and because of that, sort of any time a girl, like, isn't very well portrayed on screen, Joey has sort of created <laughs> what we call the Diane Kruger effect, <laughs> because in that film, she is just repetitively shushed into because the big problem with that movie, and this is where we're getting a little bit off track, but it also proves like that this movie is sort of better than that movie, is that Diane Kruger in that movie is like this well-respected historian. She's got a killer job. You know, she's she's like a woman doing it for herself. They set her up as like, oh, like this is a role model. Like you can, like you know, boys can look up to be Cage and girls can look up to be Diane Kruger. And then the entire movie, Cage is like, shut up, like stop talking. Like the men are talking right now. Quiet your pretty little face. And it's like, oh, like that is so awful. And so for the last basically 10 years, you know, since National Treasure in 2004, we've been tracking and like things are not looking good for these writers of these screenplays. It's one of those things where you can only you can only churn out like that kind of stuff for so long before people get tired of it. You can right. you can only make so many Uwe Boll movies before you got to stop being <laughs> Uwe Boll, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and you can only sort of put Angelina Jolie in the passenger seat for so long until, you know, she really has to start driving, which that happened finally with Amber Heard. Yeah. (laughs) So here's a quick update to what we were talking about before. I found on YouTube, it's not what I really want, but there are clips of it. 
uh, Nicholas Cage unleashes inner caveman for the crews. Okay. And a Apparently, when he was recording the voice, because he's such a physical actor, which is something we've seen throughout his career, oh, yeah. the sound booth wasn't big enough almost for him <laughs> oh, that he was gesturing yeah. so wildly as this caveman that the sound, like he had to sort of reel it in a little bit because he was just going too big. There's clips of him, you know, speaking and flailing his arms about. So I definitely just search Nicolas Cage recording the crudes, and it's like one of the top things that comes up. It's it's good. But yeah, so this movie, there are only like eight people in it, but we have, like, they're big names. We have Cage, we have Emma Stone, Ryan Reynolds, Cloris Leachman, we have Catherine Keener, back from 8mm, and also back from her uncredited role in Adaptation. Right. We have Clark Duke, and we have this other guy who I don't know the name of, but Mike... Interestingly enough, he did sound work on three other Cage movies. He did sound work on Wild at Heart, Wind Talkers, and Rumblefish. Hmm. So I wonder if he was just sort of around the DreamWorks offices, and they're like, hey, you want to like lend your voice to this movie? Like, You've been doing so much behind the scenes, Like, why don't you just pop out and be on screen for once? Uh, was he like the animal noise? Was he like the, the pets or something like that? He no, probably... he played Sandy. I don't know who Sandy is. The belt? Call us. Uh, oh no! Was belt Sandy was the belt? belt? No, belt was belt. Belt was belt. <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I, I just assume that he sort of provided the Howie Mandel Gizmo voice to Belt, or you know, or yeah, the other yeah. animal grunts and groans and stuff. Yeah. Or uh, yeah, that's interesting. That oh, Sandy was the little. Sandy was like the baby. Oh, okay. Oh, so it was like the goo. It was noise, like dog. Unleash the baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that the baby's the special weapon that they always have. <laughs> it's like Jack-Jack. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up Belt, because one of my favorite things about this movie is how crazy all the animals are. Yeah, they're... Like, they're, none of them are real animals, but they're all... IMDb calls them chimera, that they're, you know, yeah. mashups of different animals. But it's like a whale just chilling on land, yeah, land or just whales. like... Or tiny little baby elephants with huge tusks. Like, it's... They're adorable and crazy and just... I feel like that's the most fun part of this movie, that you're in a world that existed. That this, this is Earth back when Pangea was breaking apart. Yeah. But you have... Like, like, okay, like, how can we sort of put our stamp on this movie? Oh, we're just gonna do crazy animals and just blend things together and just have fun with it. Yeah. Pitbull, skunk, gator, Douglas... <laughs> oh, Douglas was great. I love the, all the design work of this, like, you know, from the animals to the crudes to the environment. I, I also love the time period this takes place as Pangea is cracking apart into continents. I just thought that was very creative. And it allowed to really let themselves go wild with these animal designs because you could just sort of say this is before everything evolved onto its own path. These are yeah. extinct creatures and uh, yeah. you could almost see like a reverse Darwinism going on in the design work. Yeah, it was really cool. It reminded me of the video game Spore. I don't know if you guys have heard yeah. of that or seen yeah. that game, but it reminded me a lot of that. You could just, you know, see, like, you could combine a bunch of evolutionary traits together to make, like, a very interesting uh, creation, and they they went really, got really creative with it, obviously. What I really like about the way that they blend these, like, you know, these creations is that it feels like a different world. Being on Pangea is just sort of, it's, I don't want to say convenient, because convenience is the wrong word, but, like, it doesn't matter where they are. Like, they could just be on, like, another planet. Like, the important thing about this story is that they're a family from the very top. Cage is giving, basically, pep talks that say, you know, like, we do this as a family. Like, we're not going to split up. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Like, we're in this together. And so it doesn't matter where they are or when they are. It's a family story. It's just fun to see them on an earth that's kind of familiar, just with crazy things all around them. Breakfast formation. I 
want to see some real caveman action out there. We do this fast. We do this loud. We do this as a family. And never not be afraid. I remember the first time the little red birds pop up. And, like, you can just tell right away that this is going to be a, a real problem. <laughs> and then they end up using, like, harnessing these wild animals to, all together. And then, like, in some way, it's like a a theme about being nice to pets and like having pets in general that comes out at the end of the movie as well they do really good job like setting up and paying off you know these creatures like it's not just they're not just there to look at like they actually yeah. service the story at points and things like yeah. that and i i just really appreciated that what i loved about that ending where you know where brian was saying like they harness all the power of all the different animals is that we know that there's going to be a crudes too we know that cage is going to be in it so you know that he has to survive. Like, mm-hmm. thinking about Disney movies and Pixar movies, like, parents dying is not uncommon. Yeah. And sort of him sacrificing himself so that they all lived sort of makes sense. I mean, it's not the ending. Like, I think it's maybe a little bit too close to the ending for that to happen. Yeah. But it also, like, I would buy it. But then when we follow him instead of them, it's kind of cool. It's like, okay, now how is he going to get himself across? And they have, like, this whole, you know, ribcage carcass and they have all the red bird like it's just it's a very cool innovative way that they use all these different things that they've introduced throughout the movie like these carnivorous red birds who are afraid of fire blending everything together to solve a problem like it's it's very well, cool and and it it sort of plays on like what kids are into these days with like the Minecraft puzzly games where it takes like you know take these elements and combine it together to complete the task you know solve the puzzle sort of stuff yeah, it was very MacGyver-esque, I was thinking, yeah, too, yeah. you know? And it, and it serviced his character as well. You know, we're getting quite ahead of ourselves, but what I liked about that is, you know, it was his idea, right? And that was sort of a struggle for the character the whole time was for him to sort of be able to see a different way of doing things aside from what he's been used to. And once he's sort of able to see the light and become conscious on another level, he gets this amazing idea, you know? And, yeah. and he really flourishes and and i just really got to give the story writers credit for following him i like you guys probably thought he was a goner but once those families to safety like the story stays with him and most movies might not have done something like that they may not have taken the time and given the character like all due respect what i like about that or what i think is cool like what works narratively is that he's this guy who's stuck in his ways and not willing to change. I think you mentioned before, Mike, that they have that line toward the end that we weren't living, we were just not dying. Like, he knows what's going to keep them alive, and he's not willing to listen to anybody else. But then because he has to do something else, he's able to sort of take the advice that he learns from Guy, this outsider, this more modern man, and utilize these lessons that he's learned throughout the movie. And just it's a cool way to sort of bring the whole story together and show his evolution. Like we're following I'm not sure I was gonna say something like I was gonna say it's it's his movie, but is it his movie or is it Eep's movie? Like who's the central character here? Or does it not matter? That's a great question, actually. I think it, again, I think it goes to show, like, how well-written this is, that you can have more than one. Uh, I mean, it almost starts off about a father and his daughter, and then it sort of becomes about a father and a daughter with her first boyfriend, and, you know... And the rebellion, the rebellion daughter. Yeah, and this thing, it just keeps evolving and evolving. Then it becomes about the girl and guy, the new boy, and it goes back, and it becomes about guy and cage, and it just like keeps flowing 
going and flowing. So I don't even know that there's a clear-cut protagonist, antagonist. It's just sort of like a really nice story about about everyone. Like, there's just a lot of main characters. I think that's probably goes towards the how heavy-handed, or you know, not heavy-handed. That's sort of like a has a negative connotation, but how heavy. <laughs> they poured on the central theme of growth and, like, coming out of fear. That theme lends itself to have, like, these several revolving characters. What's interesting, too, is that everyone sort of shifts from being the good guy to the bad guy at some point, too, right? So that else, yeah. that's also happening here, which is very clever and very, I would imagine, very tough to do, and they pull it off <laughs> extremely well. And one thing I do want to point out is that I was looking up the awards for this movie, and I was seeing if Cage was nominated. I didn't, I didn't think he was going to be nominated, but it did receive an award at some minor award show for, like, Best Ensemble Cast. So it does prove that they work really well together, that there isn't necessarily one lead, or maybe they're all leads. Either it's zero leads, or they're all leads. Like, they all sort of have their own thing to do. And going back to, like, I think what Brian was saying at the very start, like, they're all well-defined. We know who these characters are. We know their limitations. We know their strengths. And we know how they're going to sort of progress throughout the movie and help progress the story along. Yeah. They each had their own interplay. There was, like, you know, a conflict and a resolution between Nicolas Cage and Eep, and uh, that's, like, the big one. And then there's Nicolas Cage's character and Ryan Reynolds' character, and there are, like, cats, inverse cats in the cradle moment when they're stuck in the tar, where Ryan Reynolds' help opens his mind, and then Nicolas Cage's character has his own revelation at the end of it when he's brave enough, I guess, to throw his family across the canyon. Yeah, and he even sort of has a nice little bit of closure with his mother-in-law, too, right? <laughs> you know, he throws mm-hmm. her across, and there's sort of a wink where he's like, I hope you don't make it, uh, <laughs> something like that. And, and even the son, who's sort of, I was like, oh, he's he's going to be the one that gets a disservice in this film. He's sort of just like the scaredy cat. He's the one who follows the teachings of Ugg the most, you know? And then by the end, he's really, he, he gets his pet, he opens up, he doesn't become so afraid. I was like, wow, they even managed to alter his point of view too the interplay between him and the uh, gator pitbull <laughs> thing uh, <laughs> was great and uh i have to say one of the like one of the moments i was most worried in the movie was when he was teaching the uh douglas to roll over and it rolled off the te- the tree fort that they were on i thought he was gone for good i was actually worried <laughs> <laughs> there's moments in here that like do cause some genuine worry and angst like there's that one part where they're sleeping, and Ryan Reynolds' character is in a log, and Cage's character is holding, like, (laughs) Grug is holding it under his arm, and he almost falls off into this, like, lava abyss. And I don't think, like, I I know that he's not gonna die, but, like, he could, maybe? Or, like, he could fall off, they'd have to rescue him. And, like, there are moments where you're just like, oh, like, this movie could go in a lot of ways. And I think that's, like, a cool thing, that the last few animated movies we've watched, or at least, you know, at least Astro Boy, it's like, okay, we know what's going to happen. Like, this is just, it's sort of point A to point B to point C. Here, it's like, we could sort of go anywhere because the story itself is so basic. It's just sort of them trying to survive that because it's so basic, it could become anything. The actual animation of the Earth, like, being destroyed and the explosion and the smoke and stuff like that is, like, visually 
incredibly captivating and it is very engrossing and it it added like an incredible element of suspense to the movie yeah there was this one really awesome moment where i knew this movie had had pulled it off and that the rest of it was going to be good and that's sort of when their cave gets destroyed and Mm -hmm. reveals the new valley to them and it's a total wizard of oz moment you know like they're going from this drab dreary gray and dark tone and then here is just like Oz it's like bright and bold and wonderful and it's going to be huge and crazy and wild and all that kind of stuff and it it was just uh, a wonderful sort of contrast and and a great sort of signifier of like opening up this world for the rest of the film and and you're right Joy they have like the ability to do anything and with Astro Boy like you can sense the rush and you can sense sort of the indecision behind the scenes that they couldn't really think of anything to sort of hang that movie on and here they've decided they're going to hang it on themes and they're going to make the rest about sort of exploration and you know being fish out of water and and sort of evolving and adapting to you know new habitats and stuff so very cool i think the movie's a good length but it's also a movie that i could have watched for another half an hour 45 minutes like if they just did more stuff like i feel like there's more story to tell if they wanted to tell it i guess that's why there's a sequel that's why there's a prequel series on netflix that this world is just sort of filled with possibilities, and I'm just kind of interested in what the characters are going to do. Yeah, they created a very engrossing world. I was saying alone, even if this wasn't some sort of, like, family-rated movie, this the premise of this would make for, like, an awesome video game, especially yeah. with, like, the dynamic shifts in, like, the environments and that kind of stuff, and, like, how, it's, how harsh the environment is and the, that kind of survival aspect would make for like a very interesting world to be even play in. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a game, I don't remember what it's called, I feel like there's a game that's coming out next year that's kind of like this, or maybe I'm just thinking... I, I, uh, I know what it, you're talking about, I think it's uh, Far Cry uh, 5, or whatever they're calling it, Primal something, and far, it's going, you're a, basically you're a caveman, or like a Neanderthal sort of deal in Far Cry. Yeah, that's. I wonder. There's got to be a, the Croods video game, right? Yeah, there's got to oh, be some kind of. It's it's a, it's terrible. Uh, I think like one <laughs> the little Croods one prehistoric yeah, party. The one, little, the one game that they made is like just like we have to make a video game for this. So here it is. <laughs> oh man, that's that happens all the time. You're right. Like this, this is a world that you just want to explore. Yeah. You know, the demographic for the Croods isn't the brightest, and it's it's not us. Yeah. It's just <laughs> so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's interesting, like, we touched upon this a a little bit already, but I I mean, I too feel like you can kind of take everything, you could take this script, set it in modern day, put this family on the road across America, and, like, it would work too, you know, like I'm saying, like, that's the kind of vibe I get from it, like, I'm not going to hold any prejudice against it for being an animated feature, you know what I'm saying, like, I I will champion this film probably and tell people to give it a (laughs) shot, you know, because I think it would really surprise most people. They even have that like little road trip montage, right, where they're all yeah. just walking, but it's like they're trapped in a car yeah. with each other. Like they're playing on the modern. Thing. It's just, it's great. Like I love that it's set back. Then. I don't know. It's just, it, I, I just like it because of the setting and because they're cavemen and stuff. Like they, it gives them a really good opportunity to expose like their personalities and stuff. Like I think of the moment when they all discover fire from. 
Guy, right? Like Guy sort of lures the girl out of the cave with the fire and that's how they sort of meet cute and uh, it's all very cool and the lighting is amazing. And the fire becomes sort of, you know, they think it's a pet. They don't know like it's, tr- it, they don't know like how it works or, you know, that it spreads. And, and so like that was like a very good moment and, you know, that's a very memorable moment of this movie. I mean, they even play it twice and I kind of thought it worked better the second time because the whole family got in on it. But the, they do some really interesting things like that in this film to remind you like, yeah, these are people who are experiencing new things and like reminds you to sort of go out and try and experience new things. I also love the sequences where they're naming things or they're talking about or guys talking about like brain, like this is a brain, this is where ideas come from, I think. Mm-hmm. It's like this great idea to have these like sort of, I don't want to say obvious jokes, but kind of obvious jokes that just work really well but also have jokes that, like, it's not the thing that they call it, you know? Like, these, like, little moments of them, like like you were saying, Mike, them learning new things or discovering new things or naming new things. It's like this whole new world of possibility, and you could do whatever you want in it. What are you doing? Yeah, wow, I was up all night because, like, all these ideas just kept coming to me. Um, is that a snake? Belt! New and improved! It's even self-tightening! Ow! What is that on your head? It's called desperation. I call it a rug. Rhymes with grug. And this one, I call it a ride. Rhymes with grug. Uh, that doesn't rhyme. It's gonna get us places faster than shoes. <laughs> yeah! Try to keep up! All of the stuff is things that we take for granted, and even a little kid would take for granted. So as adults and as a child, that those are funny moments. I even like the stuff like the shell phones, right, instead of the cell phones, but they're actually just like the shells that they blow into, you know? Yeah. So like even though that's like a joke about the modern age, it plays well and it actually you know serve, again it like actually means something in the story too like it becomes very handy and useful we also i also want to mention or talk, make sure we talk about the rocket corn and the gigantic popcorn that they have yeah. like i don't know like i guess it's not only animals that are new in this world but right. also food is kind of normal well they did uh, food, the, food plant, is the new. plant life is like extreme as well <laughs> All the food that they eat, for the most part, is weird. Like, they have that great montage at the beginning that's kind of like, Mike was pointing out to me last night, that it's kind of like a football game, where they have the egg and they're trying to keep it away, they're sort of passing yep. between themselves. Yeah, the rain and then, and then they get on that rocket fire, or like the, the corn rocket, when the fire is going all over the place, and they get shot into the air, and then it becomes fireworks, which is great, and then the fireworks is actually just gigantic kernels of popcorn. Yeah. And it's just, it's just like, it's just, the, the imagination is there. It just, it's, it's very cool sort of design work, I guess. Overall, the movie was super entertaining. I didn't really know what to expect going into it, because it's been a while since I've gone out of my way to watch an animation that wasn't, like, more serious or something like that. I enjoyed it, and uh, Nicolas Cage's character is hilarious, and I was pleasantly surprised that it was uh, Ryan Reynolds going against, yeah. going as in the movie as well. We have a lot of Marvel and superhero-related people in this movie that we have Ghost Rider, mm-hmm. we have Gwen Stacy, right. we have the soon-to-be Deadpool and also former Green Lantern, yep. we have Clark Duke as unnamed character, name I do not remember, as Kick-Ass's best friend. Oh, right, um, there, right. There are all these people that are sort of pretty prominent in, in superhero movies all coming together just to be in something completely different. I'm guessing the fact that they've done movies like that could have just been like put them on the radar for the voices for something like this. Who knows? 
regarding like Cage's role in this, I think when we first tackled uh, Christmas Carol the movie, I, I was wondering why he didn't sort of come out of the gate in a leading role, like very much like this. I was like, you know, they, he's the type of guy you design a movie around almost, right? They, you be the character. Like, I almost feel like with Bolt or something, they went to Travolta and then developed that with him in mind or something, or just it's, you know, I just feel like he deserved something more like this but I'm glad we're finally here and that he's, you know, he's in it and he's up front and center this whole time. Oh, one other thing, one other big theme in this movie is, I guess it, it ties back in with the adaptation and like going and learning how to deal with change. But there's sort of like this old school, new school mentality. And Guy is sort of like the thinking man. I guess we we talked about him as the modern man. But he's like, he's just saying ideas and all Cage wants to do is fight. And so it's like a very kind of cool, literal, you know, we talked on here, referenced loss. I mean, it's not the exact thing, but, you know, man of science, man of faith, like these clashing ideologies. And here we literally have, you know, brain versus brawn on screen at the same time. And it's clear that Cage is outdated. Like Cage is both literally and metaphorically like a caveman in the situation. We've gotten along just fine without brains till now. Cavemen don't need brains. We have these. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Ideas are for weaklings. Yeah, you get to see his own personal discovery, which you know is obviously one of the bigger points of the movie for his character. And you see that Ryan Reynolds, who comes in as sort of thinking he's superior he learns a lot about family and you know sticking together and that kind of stuff it seems i feel like this movie is kind of hard to talk about because there aren't that many like there's there's so many things going on but it's just a few things sort of repeated like i said mm -hmm. that there's not a lot to talk about like i think it's a really enjoyable movie but i don't know that it's necessarily too deep i mean no. it is it is aimed at kids there are, the themes are pretty apparent and pretty prevalent it's enjoyable to watch, but it's not. There's not necessarily like we're not dissecting Cage as like this inner psychopath in yeah. Bad Lieutenant or something. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not very deep, and that's okay. It didn't have to be. It was entertaining for what it was. You know what? It's got a ton of charm. That I feel goes mm -hmm. a long way too. One of my pet peeves is like with uh, the other some of the other animated stuff out there is they try to do too much or get too complex, and I kind of love the just simplicity of this whole thing you know it was very like okay everything behind us is sort of getting destroyed and crumbling so we have to soldier forward so let's you know if we can get to the mountain that's sort of like the safe zone so like it's just everything that goes on between here and there and it's all just kind of great how everyone just goes through this personal growth <laughs> and, and by the time they get there they're like this rehabilitated family unit that's just ready to take on the future i mean if you look for it there there's a paper to write here definitely you know there's a lot of stuff that you could discuss seriously and everything but what's great is how it plays for fun you know and how it plays for excitement and it plays without getting in the way i think is what i'm trying to say and it, and it comes across humorous and exciting and just a lot of fun to me it kind of treads that middle ground really well like it doesn't try to be too smart and like outthink you but it also doesn't resort to stupid childish behavior like it's it's like a fun it's just like it is what it is like it knows exactly like it's it stays the course and i think it's really really it's better for it 
Yeah, like one of the things I really, really did appreciate is that the movie just was all, it all just seemed to be about taking chances, whether it be with the design or with the pace or with what they wanted to say, you know, and it's great they didn't get too preachy, but they snuck some some cool stuff in there. And, you know, they could have just had this be, you know, a normal saber-toothed tiger chasing them the whole time, but instead it's like this wonderful-looking parrot-colored saber-toothed tiger that can blend into the forest, you know? And like we said, like all the animals are, are more... More than one animal mashed together. So I just really, you know, the effort is on the screen and it comes through, and I appreciated it. Yeah, and you, as you were saying, it could you could have gone something. You could have gone like in depth with this. There's a paper here, and I I would think it would be something along the lines of like the crudes, an allegory for the birth of migrational society and modern man. <laughs> you know, and you and you use how like their personal development is also you know synonymous with the development development of, you know, cavemen into Neanderthal sort of deal. Yeah, there's absolutely that sort of play on current data, right? I mean, like, they're they're actually trying to pull, like, I mean, when I was growing up, I had always just thought cavemen evolved into modern man. And then sort yeah. of down the line, they're like, no, there's like cavemen and Neanderthal and so, and they, they may have made it. So it's even funny that they're shouting out, there's two classes of humanity here going on, right? There's the, there's, for lack of a better word, there's the stupid and then there's the smarter, there's the old and then there's the new. And, and it's just interesting how they're, they're at this turning point in, in human history here and it's like okay these two are gonna have to get together merge and get along if humanity is going to thrive it's if it's going to happen so that was kind of a funny play on that i don't really have much else to talk about i do want to mention that this was nominated for both an academy award and a golden globe for best animated feature but unfortunately it also came out in the same year that frozen came out so oh, i mean there's yeah. no way that it was uh, ever going to beat frozen they're lucky that they didn't come out the same weekend or same as frozen <laughs> Because this probably w- we would have brought you know this probably would have been a different story and dream uh, DreamWorks might have been done. This came out in March, which I guess is sort of a good time. I mean, I think Frozen came out in like Novemberish. I think it was a fall movie, so this definitely had right. Frozen, this is probably the Frozen kids did the Christmas, like. and they these guys did the beginning of summer. I don't really want to knock Frozen, but you know, truth be told, that that relies much more on sort of the same old thing again, and it works and it does the same thing very well. But it's a shame that. You know, that movie just exploded and has so much popularity. And yeah, they, you know, champion the, the women in that film, too. And then you have something like The Croods, which also has this Emma Stone character who just seems like much more of like a real type of girl to me than sort of a princess or something like that. And it's too bad that this got overlooked and overshadowed in that same year and everything. But yeah, those are definitely the breaks. <laughs> yeah, this seems, she seems sort of more like Merida, I guess, from Brave. I think this, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if this is necessarily like a better movie than Brave. I don't really remember Brave. I know that people, sort of the collective conscious, says that Brave's kind of a letdown. I'm not exactly sure. I enjoyed um, Brave. I, I think Brave I too. enjoyed it more for the animation and like the music than the actual story. But I would I noticed right off the bat that Emma Stone's character's animation is basically just a caveman Brave. Like they they almost look identical, but just one's like sort of made into like a slightly caveman looking. 
any other thoughts? Any any final thoughts, uh, Mike? Anything that you we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? There was one really just terrific shot that I would like to mention. It happened so quickly, but it really I mean I loved it when they find water and Emma Stone jumps into the water and the camera sort of does this three sixty and she lands and the and she's in it upside down. I, I just thought that was just like a really interesting shot. Uh, they don't do a lot of that kind of stuff in this movie. It, it's almost just sort of follow the action the whole time. So. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was really cool. There's one moment where they get to the beach. I thought that was great to have <laughs> animated Cage at the beach, and that was a nice a nice callback there. He also puts on sunglasses at one point. Yeah. Sunglasses have come back. Dude, he, he, he sort of in, he invents sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. just put the rocks on his eye. I call them shades. The sun doesn't hurt my eyes anymore. Where do you get these great ideas? Since I don't have a brain. They're coming from my stomach down deep below and then up again into my mind. Uh, that was wonderful. That was great. When he was over trying to be the changing thinking guy, that was one of the funniest moments when he's <laughs> doing it. When he's got that wig on, yeah. he's just like, oh, he's like, oh, I have ideas. Like, here's what, here's what I'm gonna call a bunch of things. I like how he was naming everything sort of that rhymed with him. Like he, he called his toupee a rug because it rhymed yeah. with UG. And, and then at the end, I love how he invented the hug. Yeah. You know, like that was just such a nice little touch right there. And he even named it after himself. And they're going to keep calling it the hug. And, and we do so to this cute. day. This works good. What do you call it? I was thinking of calling it a hug. Because <clears throat> it rhymes with Greg. <laughs> But uh, you, can, you can change it if you want. <laughs> no, no, I like hug. Brian, any other any thoughts? Any any notes that you took that we didn't cover that you want to make sure you talk about? Uh, I pretty much got everything I needed. Cool. Well, thank you very much for joining. This was a sort of a shorter one, but we found that the animated ones turn out to be shorter. I yeah. mean, just. It's just sort of what it is, but you will be back in about two years okay. for the for the Croods too. <laughs> right. I don't want to put unexpected for unnecessary pressure on that movie, but I kind of I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Like I want to see yeah. more of these I stories. High, uh, I have high expectations for it. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's probably the first non-Pixar movie I'm actually anticipating, you know, in a long time. Thank you very much, Brian, for joining us. Uh, no problem. I've been on a completely different animation note. I've been trying to get my girlfriend into uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Oh. And she's a little bit reluctant because it's anime, but I'm trying to explain to her that it's like a different type and that uh, we need to watch some of that. Yes. Uh, did, did she watch this with you? Yeah, she did watch this with me, and she found that she was entertained, and she's actually seen it before because she watched it with the kids that she nannied. I love it. Yeah. I love that Cage... Like, these... Like, we were talking about with other animated Cage movies. This is sort of... This could be, for a lot of kids, like, their entryway into the world of Cage, and, like, if they only knew yeah. the dark history <laughs> that he's gone through, they would be terrified to watch this movie. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you back in a couple of years. Great. So for all things Cage, you can go to cageclub.me. You can find our reviews, listen to past podcasts, follow us on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. All things Cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Brian Petronchak, and we'll see you next time on Cage Club. Cage Club.